My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. Welcome back to another episode with All American Wing Shooting Podcast. Today we have such a dear friend who I'm sure has clothed the majority of wing shooters in the upland industry across the country. Eric with Hound and Hair is joining us today to tell us all about how he got started and his vision for Hound and Hair and the really cool American traditions that he um, has shared with me and really connected our hearts. And uh, we've made really great friends because of all this. Welcome, Eric. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So, so glad to be here on a Friday. And I've, I, you know, I'm looking at the backdrop behind you. I, I love the birds. <laughs> <laughs> Chad's geese. I know. I, I asked him, like, do you think we could put some pheasants on there when I sit in your chair? retractable banner yeah that's what i need <laughs> so i haven't seen you in forever so what's new what's going on with hound and hair it is it has been a wild spring we just now stopped to take a breath um and finished our our last show until the fall um great things happening we've you know we've come out with um several new things new lines new materials and that's all in production for the fall so we're we're excited um, leading up to best time of the year, right? <laughs> Starting in September. Yeah. I know the, the British may argue that August and the glorious 12th might be the best time of the year. But. So I was just on um, earlier this week with, with Stephen Murray, and we talked all about that. And it was awesome to have his perspective because your brand kind of overlaps his culture. And um, I know you guys are friends, too. And so we talked about the glorious 12th. And, and I said, you know, for when, you know, this whole thing about the heart of American hunters, what inspired me to even start this podcast, not really get on here and talk about techniques of shooting and dog training and those things, but like the real why of why we do this. And we need we need a day like that. Like it's I'm kind of jealous that the Brits have the glorious 12th and we we don't have anything to celebrate. I told him, I'm like, well, I guess us redneck Americans shoot our guns on July 4th. But that has nothing to do with hunting season. No birds are involved. I mean, I, I guess the closest thing would be, you know, the opening day of dove season. But that's not the same everywhere. And um, it's probably not treated the same everywhere but but it's that's usually the first time i actually get the shotgun out to shoot at uh, winged game is going to be labor day oh gosh and it's so hot being a georgia girl and sitting there i mean it it opens at noon but nobody cares until like four o'clock <laughs> that is true it's just yeah. hot. um but you know as a kid I wanted to go out as soon as it opened. So I was always trying to get dad to go out, you know, go out um, as soon as the, as soon as we could just to sit out there, even though it was going to be stinking hot um, and you wouldn't see anything, but you still. Oh, the dogs are miserable too. Cause like how many times can you rotate around that hay bale to keep the dog in the shade? (laughs) Well, see, you know, growing up, I I know we've, we've talked about this before. um, We didn't have dogs that retrieved when we had beagles, but that was a little bit different. So dove season, when I was growing up, it was dad and you know his his friends or relatives or whatever 
Um, and before I could hunt, I was the retriever, you know, so the bird oh. got, and it was, it was cornfields, um, which if you've ever hunted in a cornfield, it's hard to find a down bird in, um, in corn that's been cut for silage because there's a lot. Oh, for sure. And then the, the camouflage, you think, oh yeah, I'm going to see this gray bird laying here in this golden stalk, but it really does just disappear. It, it really does. And I, it goes back to how many times they said, when the bird goes down, don't worry about anything else. Stick on that bird and you find it. Yeah. And you get out there and get turned around. <laughs> yeah. You end up looking around um, forever trying to find a, um, a little gray winged dove. But, but yeah, that's so I was the retriever, I think, for, <laughs> for the early part of um, early part of my dove season. Well, you did just get a bird dog. You have a cute little baby. We do. Tweed is getting ready to turn a year old in about six days. Oh, wow. And I'm sure Amy's going to throw a birthday party. She probably, she probably, <laughs> she probably will. It's, and, and Tweed will be heading south back to Georgia for some uh, some Cocker Camp uh, training come uh, uh, probably September of this year for some birds uh, as well. So, so we're, we are both like super big dog fans just in general. You and Amy and I have a lot in common when it comes to the dog life. And, and our first love was the Westie. Right. So you guys had two of them. I had one. I had my dog for 15 years and um, she traveled everywhere with us. And, and the next dog, I literally got a short hair because my Westie ended up with such bad arthritis, like joint arthritis. Was, I forgot exactly what the details were, but I thought she was going to die. And and some people's dog pass and they wait a long time to get another dog. I was like, nope, I've got to have a distraction. I need another dog. Cause if this dog dies and I've had her for so long at that time, she was probably 12. Um, I, I don't know how to function without another dog. So that's how I ended up getting mercy is that a really good friend of mine. And I, I've, I've talked probably for five years about getting a bird dog. Oh, I'll get a dog. I'll get a dog. Like they're so cute, whatever. And then Heidi got sick and he had a litter and the mom was like my favorite short hair at the time. And that's how I ended up with Mercy. And then when I met you guys and you guys had two Westies, oh, it just melted my heart. You know, it was, it was a struggle. I think Amy wanted a Westie for a long time before I would even go for the Westie. I, you know, I wanted a, yeah, I feel like I needed a, a dog that was, you know, a man's dog, man's dog. And <laughs> after we traveled to Scotland and I saw a couple of, um, Westie again is you know is a term of endearment, not of weakness. You know, like Laddie or, but because when I saw these West Highland Terriers in Scotland, they were all muddy and they were just you know just oh they're boss dogs yeah you know carrying things around. And I was like these are these are serious dogs. They you know they go after and they hunt with them. You know they mm-hmm. have, uh, packs of of terriers that do all kinds of things. Uh, so that's when I finally said okay we'll, we'll take a West and I. I was trying to get Fiona at the time. I had a bumper. <laughs> you know, I was trying to, trying to get her to retrieve, and she will. You know, she yeah. would, but uh, but it's not the same. I think that's so funny because Heidi, of course, was really, really old. But every once in a while, you know, they get that little spunky burst of, of energy or whatever. And, and um, I remember having the quail pen out at, at the end of the garage 
at my old house and she would come by every once in a while and just kick up her heels just to get the birds to flush up you know and I'm like you're such a bad dog but knowing that it took everything in her to just have that much energy and you know I would let her get away with it um but I thought man if I knew what I if I knew then like when she was young what I know now I could have had that dog doing I could have had her being a flusher for sure because I could I'd sit her down and I'd say bang bang and like shoot her with a like my finger was a gun and she'd roll over and play dead and all kinds of cool stuff just such a smart little dog and and I guess having her and having the such trainability with the Westie and the fact that she could go everywhere with me really sucked me into dog training so then when I ended up with a bird dog I was absolutely addicted to it and I usually give like the horses the credit um you know just being around horses and riding and showing and stuff that kind of sucked me into the dog training but it very well could have been that little Westie that just gave me my love for dog training I think it's it's amazing you know what she what Fiona was able to do um but then when Tweed came on the scene and was so young I was like oh Oh, yeah. There, you can just tell there's a difference in in, in trainability between those. right or attention span. Yeah, and you know the West the, the terriers are not all about you. They're more about you know they're more independent. <laughs> Whereas Tweed wants you know she wants to be with you. She wants to. She has that pleasing attitude. Yeah, and, and a drive to do it. I was like, okay, this is what. You know, having a true bird dog versus one I wanted to be a bird dog. But <laughs> that wasn't a bird dog. Yeah, she was more of an independent hunter versus. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see what Tweed's going to do um, when she gets that energy kind of pulled in just a little bit and focused on uh, on some things. So. Well, I think that your dog is such a great mascot for you for y'all's brand. Like she literally matches you and Amy so perfectly. Um, I was I was excited to see you guys at the game fair here in Georgia just a few months ago. And I, I, I would just love to hear your story about like this is kind of a second career for you. And, and, you know, you have such amazing support from your wife, who's one of the sweetest, kindest people in the whole wide world. And, you know, you just took this massive chance of keeping this really tradition and heritage alive in the uplands. And so... I'd love for you to just tell me all about it. Well, you know, it's it goes back to you. We're talking about growing up and and, and wing shooting. I, I don't think um, you know. My dad hunted. He he uh, he hunted birds, quail in the seventies in Kentucky were slowly uh, fading away. You, know, you would see them occasionally on Thanksgiving Day when you were hunting rabbits, and that's. That's largely why I hunted rabbits. We didn't travel to hunt. You know, dad had um, had a business that he was running and it was about what you could hunt either on the property that you owned or the property of someone you knew. Um, so we didn't travel much. You know, it's like whatever you could hunt there, if it was rabbits, that's what you hunted. Uh, dove season, you hunted doves. Um, if there were quail, so be it, that would be great, but you're not gonna travel much further than a couple of um, uh, counties to do that and that's kind of growing up that way you know I, I um I had a love of not only hunting and spending time with dad and and that kind of thing but also just the guns in general because they were always um 
Um, there were older guns that they were using, even at that point, that had been given to them or they had bought from someone, a, a relative. And so I loved the guns. And the heirloom. The, the heirloom yeah, quality the tradition of the guns. Of it. And yeah. I just, and I wanted to be a part of that. And so even before I could carry a gun, I was out with dad. Um, and he was, you know, very much old school. And I, I think about it now. I don't, you know, we'd go out and shoot the guns maybe throw some clays up. I don't remember that maybe until I was older. You didn't have really a way of learning how to shoot in general. I mean, wing shoot mm -hmm. um, other than trial and error. And I remember, um, I think I was maybe 12 because I, I had an older brother and both of us didn't have a gun at the same time in the field as new hunters. Um, so I, I, was, I came along later and I, I got that first single barrel shotgun to hunt dove. Um, 16 gauge that I still have, but you had one shot. And yeah, in you didn't go to a clay field to go shoot clays. I mean, at least not in rural Kentucky, you didn't. Um, it was learn on the fly, and you only had usually one shot for every two or three birds that flew over. And it was um it was it was hard, you know, looking looking back on <laughs> how you know I, I was excited when I would come down you know, in the day and I would have two three um and then later as i got older and i graduated high school i used money from graduation to buy a used 1100 that i still have oh cool first foray into the automatic you know some automatic world um which made life a little bit easier <laughs> when, it, when it came to birds so you know looking back my dad was a hunter but he didn't you know he didn't have a lot of guns he didn't have um a lot of experience hunting birds. He did some duck hunting when he was growing up and that kind of thing, but it used a, a Model 11, 1920s Model 11 that, um, you know, patterned after the, the Browning, the A5, that weighed a ton. It was like a bazooka. Um, and that's that's what we did. Every Christmas, Thanksgiving, we'd go rabbit hunting a few times. We'd hunt dove when uh, the season would come in. And that was really the only opportunity to get any kind of experience wing shooting. And, um, and I think part of me is that's one reason when we started uh, Hound and Hare, um, I liked the idea of the, the heirloom, the heirloom quality, things that you would pass down, whether it was a hunting jacket I'm still wearing that would have been my uncle's or my uh, grandfather's. And I wanted to go back to that quality and make things that you could pass down. You could pass on to your, your, um, uh, your son, your daughter. And, um, and also bring more people into the sport because I didn't know, you know, when you first start shooting, you don't know if a gun fits you or not. You shoot it for five years and then you find out this gun really doesn't fit me. That's probably why. I'm <laughs> oh. And that's when I, when I finally learned that many years after that, that, you know, guns have to fit you and I'm not an off the rack gun guy for the most part. Um, and neither are most women. I said, well, there's, there's, there's a, a niche there um, for women, for hunting gear that, are, uh, that will fit them, that will be flattering to them, that's made out of great quality, um, that will encourage them to go out in the field and shoot. And, um, and that's, that's, I think that's a, a big part of it, um, at least in, in my experience. And that love of getting out in the field with the dogs, um, eating sandwiches around, uh, you know, the truck bed, um, at the end of the day or during lunch or whatever it is that 
was such an exciting part of my my childhood and i wish i would have done more of it um as i was growing up with my dad and my relatives before they god i say that too i'm like god why didn't my parents give me a shotgun instead of a basketball yeah it, well, <laughs> well you know it's i i remember having a you know i still have the bb gun that i had growing up and that kind of thing in you know carrying the shotgun shells before i could even hunt the dad would come home with and in so I had a love of that, I think. Everything involved with it, the dogs, the, the clothing, the guns themselves, uh, the smell, you know, the, the all that kind of thing. And I said, no, I don't get to do enough of that. I don't, I don't, I didn't travel to do it. I didn't take time off to do it. And that's, you know, in 17, when I finally said, okay, I'm finished. It's because I, I was missing that part of my life, able to go hunt. Mm-hmm. Because again, unless you travel, and I think that's a that's a real thing for most people, it's hard to find places to hunt, even if you have public land. It's well, you know, that's what's so special about our world, and I preach this all the time. The wing shooting world is so special because number one, preserve hunting is not only ex- accepted but it's encouraged, right? So the lodge life is celebrated, and number. And number two, like, you don't even need anything to get started. You can go to one of these preserves. You get a guide with the dogs. You can rent a gun. You get somebody to instruct you through how it works. Um, You know, so the safety of it all, like, everything is taken care of. You can literally show up and just say, man, I just want to go shoot birds today and book a hunt. And somebody will take you through the entire thing. And, you know, through that, if you want to just stay at that level, you have that option. If you want to branch out and then own your own dogs and plan your own hunts, like you've got Onyx, you've got all these public land opportunities, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, organizations to get connected to, you know, with that will promote places for you to go and help you along the way, right? Like the call the biologist in the region that you're interested in or the bird you want to chase. And then you can always circle back, like, circle back to that preserve life when you're too old and you don't feel like driving the 20 hours it takes to leave south georgia to go to north dakota or wherever you know like you can circle back around and go right back where it started and that was the coolest thing for me there's one place back home in georgia that i've always started my dogs there just to get them on different ground and now they do tower shoots and and they've grown their business they started in this little bitty barn that was just old and looked like at any day if the wind blew too hard or a tornado came through that sucker would be the first one to get wiped out and now they have this like three-story house and you know from the top floor you can see all the fields and the tower shooting and it's just so beautiful so kind of grown together but the guys that the older guys that have circled back around now and sit around and tell their stories they've got this amazing lodge this great house that they could go in and cook in but they still choose to go shoot their birds with their old dogs and set up their coleman stove on their tailgate and sit out in the field you know at the edge of the field so they can watch all the rest of the hunters and they cook quail in a skillet you know in late afternoon and it it's just so fun and i think i never even left home you know like we didn't even leave home to have this cool experience and so the wing shooting world was just so special to me i mean we can get into shooting and the history of guns and and technique and 
totally geek out about that. Or you can get into the dog training part and the genetics and um, the history of that. But the, the, the world as a whole is like never ending layers of tradition. And I just, I just love it. I think we, you know, what you're saying about, again, as a kid, we didn't go, you know, dad didn't take trips. Right. State to go hunt birds because it, it just wasn't practical money-wise. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you do or time-wise. Most people, especially back then or even now, don't have that much time to do that. Yeah. But the, the preserves, like, like a, you know, a sporting clays range, it's a controlled environment. I know when we, we have a group that we would take from our church, we would go to sporting clays because it's so controlled that you can say, you do not load until you're between these two. You do not. Yeah. Same with preserve. Someone who's new, you take them, you know, to a, um, uh, you know, to public land. Well, you don't have time necessarily to stop. So, okay, uh, we, we've, we have a bird pointed over here. Let's take the time to go through what we need to do. Oh, yeah. It's not going to happen. Know, preserve gives you that opportunity to take, especially a new hunter or any hunter, and go through all those, um, go through everything step by step so they feel comfortable that if they want to go somewhere else, they're going to have that same process to fall back on um, that you wouldn't have if you just, you know, like, you know, going dove hunting in the field. It's like, let's learn everything. Birds there, you, you need to shoot it. Well, how do I do that? Well, you know, what do I need? Where do I need to sit? What do I need to do? 10 to 12 above the blue horizon. Yeah, I mean, like that's pretty simple. It's a perfect place to teach somebody about shooting etiquette. And um, and that's another thing is like, you know, my dad got shot in a hunting accident, deer hunting, when I was three with a 30 out six in the head. And um, he was sitting in a deer stand and someone shot in his direction and um and so because of that experience in my life and and the fact that my family kept me hunting kept me in the woods you know we um hunted deer and turkey growing up like i there's a level of safety but then there's a level of etiquette above that right and so i think if we all strive for etiquette not only are we keeping these traditions alive and showing respect to our industry but we're uberly safe too that's true that's true yeah. The, the traditions, I think that's what resonated with me when I started Hounding Hair and I was looking at what I wanted to do with the brand and why I was doing it. The traditions, I think, are so important to me, whether I, um, whether it's what I'm wearing and the materials that I use, even now, I'm thinking of tradition. Um, and the, the gun that I'm using, is it is it a gun that my grandfather used? So a part of me, I'm able to to share in the same memories or make the same memories using a gun that he shot or whatever. But it's the tradition part that I think um, draws me, the sense of um, tradition, continuity from generation to generation. And I'm sharing that with someone else. I'm gonna share that with someone else and it's gonna continue. I mean, in Kentucky, you know, I was saying in the seventies, well, quail are gone for the most part, unless you go in the Western part of the state for several reasons, but the same thing with, there were no deer in the seventies in Kentucky. And now we have a whole, you know, whole bunch. Yeah, you're a hotspot for big turkey. bucks. Yeah. I think they said in, in like the early eighties before they started reinducing turkey, there might've been 3000 in the whole state. And I think this this past year, they, you know, they, they harvested so many more than that. 
in the first week, you know, 10,000 maybe in the first week because of conservation, people getting out of hunting, uh, the hunting license fees, the, you know, the ammunition fees, everything being turned back in. And it's about their tradition going out there. We may, um, whether you get your limit of, of dove or not is not necessarily important. It's, it's getting out there each year, getting excited about the first of, of September when you can get out there and actually hunt dove. Um, that is the exciting part. It's like, a, you know, day before Christmas. Oh, I know. And this year will be different, but in the past, a girlfriend of mine's dad would host a big dove hunt in middle Georgia, in Madison. And that is just such gorgeous pasture country there. And so she and I would take our girls and we would tent camp. All the all the guys, right, have their big campers or whatever. And we're like, no, we're going to give these girls like real life camping experience and have the campfire and cook out there. And so she um, she's a big time photographer, artist. So she'd take her camera and I'd take my gun and we'd have these little kids out there for years, like when they started with their BB guns. And at first they were empty, you know, and then we'd um, while we were waiting on birds to come through, we'd put out something in the field and let the kids shoot their BB gun, you know, waiting on the next set of birds to come flying through. And um, it was just, it was so much fun. But now, like, they're bigger. Hallie Joe's shooting a shotgun and running a dog now and stuff. So, you know, things have changed. But that's how we started those girls on our own. Just, um, it was fun. It was loads of fun. Like, those are some of the best memories. It's tough even, you know, I moved... um, after college, maybe an hour and a half away from where I grew up. Well, you know, just moving to a different place. Um, and you know, hunting's always been tough. You, you, even if you know people, they have to invite you. You know, you can't just <laughs> yeah. opening day, and that's that's hard. It's almost like fishing. You know, people are a little cagey about where they hunt, and maybe more so now than they used to be. But you, you it's harder to just you know, find some property, and find just- your community. And that's why getting involved with organizations and maybe is it, maybe that's how we met. Did we meet through Pheasants Forever, Quill Forever? We I did. feel like I've known you guys for, for, for so long. I'm like, I don't even remember not knowing them. <laughs> we did. You know, I was speaking to somebody this morning. It was uh, the 2019 Pheasant Fest. Um, okay. In Illinois up in Chicago. <laughs> Um, cause again, you know, we had started the brand a few years before this was probably our second full year. And, um, I was like, man, I've got to go to pheasant fest I've, cause I love birds. Mm-hmm. And also there's that desire to be a, a part of a, a bigger, you know, a group bigger than, than yourself that, um, Hey, maybe I can learn more about out West, learn more about pheasant hunting, quail hunting, different places to go and hopefully, uh, you know, make connections to, to take you know, Amy or uh, my nephew or whoever it may be to see how much fun I, th- I think about. Is Pheasant Fest not like a, like going away for summer camp or something with your best friends for <laughs> with just bird hunters? It's like, oh, my gosh, like you end up going to the bar at night because that's where everybody will gather, you know, in the convention center. And all of a sudden you look and you're just like, oh my God, it's five o'clock. We have to be at our booth in three hours because it's like, you just get so excited to see everybody at one place. It, it really is a special group of people. It is. I think all the, all the organizations, it's so much fun because it, it is like a reunion. So to yeah. speak. Uh, even if you're new, you know, you, 
<laughs> I was just talking about the Kaisers and Steve Schaefer and like I miss all those people so much because when COVID happened, everything stopped and and they weren't part of my bird dogging circuit. So I never crossed paths with them. And I'm like, man, I'm so used to seeing these people on a regular basis because there was so much QF, PF stuff going on around the country for a while. It was like we saw each other every quarter. It's well, and it's such a good group to meet. I mean, all of the organizations, but just because you meet people from across the country, they all love to hunt. And you know, I, I remember seeing people um, this past year at, um, at um, I guess it was in Dallas. And they were like, oh, I'd, I'd love to come quail hunting. You know, they're in, in Texas, they have quail, but different type of quail. Mm. Well, crane, I want to hunt crane. Okay, well, so you almost do, you know, yep. like connecting each other with like, okay, we're gonna go crane hunt here in January. Let's go quail hunt down here in, you know, in January or mm. where And that just continues to grow the, you know, the group of people that it really was a welcoming group i'll i'll tell you this when i first got started in the shotgun world i didn't you know i didn't know any of this industry really existed the way that it did and my and my interview with um with the first company was at nra in atlanta and that (laughs) that's the best people watching i think i've ever done in my life so it was not about our industry and then the next thing you knew um was a shot show and i'm like man where are people like there's not a lot of uh upland hunters you know at shot show and or if they are like it's not like a group and everybody's like just wait just wait just wait till you get to fest and then when i got to fest it was like this is life on steroids because everybody here is wearing blaze orange and has their bird dog and it was it was just an amazing time it it, it really is and i I keep thinking the more and more people, and it's, someone had told me a couple of weeks ago, they said, you know, I, said, I see a, a group, because there's also, you were talking about, you know, in England, you have the the driven shoots, you know, you, so uh, shooting versus hunting, the different types of, of bird shooting. Um, but someone told me, said, there's a lot of people that are coming into the sport that want to learn to shoot, that want to shoot shotguns, but they may be coming in in a different aspect um they may be coming into it you know they want to they want a nice meal after a group of them get together and shoot oh yeah um and maybe they want to smoke cigars drink bourbon or whatever and they may be more excited about that than they are actually shooting and that's this is what this guy was telling me so, you know i hadn't thought about it but there there are some people out there you know that are new to the sport they love to shoot but maybe they want to shoot so they can get to the other part, to the yeah. meal, to the food, to the, you know, sitting around the, you know, the table. The lifestyle. And that's what you've done. You, you take, um, the British lug- luxury with Southern charm. And I love that because that is iconic for your brand. You feel that whether, you know, you look at your website or you look at your social media, or if you happen to to visit your booth you know you get that sense of timeless um just feel through the decor through the clothing like it creates its own culture yeah i mean that's that's kind of what we we've tried to do is really choose materials that are that are timeless and that are classic that are um are 
are going to be heirlooms, heirloom today. You know, something that you're going to buy, you're not going to buy a hundred of them. You're going to buy right. or two and you're going to it's love going to them. Your, your heritage, yeah. you know, through, throughout and with classic materials, you know, not, um, you can still have waterproof, but it can still be a classic look. Um, um, that you can even, you know, wear in town, that kind of thing. So that's. So where are you guys going to be next? Our, ne our next show, let me think here, we will be in Maryland in October. I'm trying to think if we're going to be somewhere in September. In October, we will be at a five-star horse trial in Fairhill, Maryland, which is like the middle of October. Um, you, are you going to attend any game fairs this fall? I, I'm not sure yet. We're looking at our calendar and, and looking at the budget with gas continuing to go up. I know mm -hmm. we try to go down to um, uh, Purcell Farms game fair down in Alabama. Um, and there's also one up in Millbrook, New York that we're looking at in September. Purcell Farms would be great. I love that place. I love the crew. They're awesome. They are. I mean, that whole Emily and the, the whole crew down there. Chuck, that, Chuck, Chuck is your poster child for sure. You know, and that's one of the best things about, uh, and that was part of Hound and Harris trying to spend more time where you want to be, whether it's hunting. Yeah. At Pheasant Fest, SCI, um, game fairs at Millbrook or Purcell Farms, because you get to shoot those properties, right? That's once you set up, you have to go shoot. And Purcell Farms, it has one of the most beautiful clay courses. Um, maybe I'm partial because I grew up in, in in southern Kentucky, where you see a lot of the same uh, red clay. And that, but anyway, beautiful property. So it, we're looking at our our schedule and trying to see uh, if we're going to be able to make it this year. Um, we are going to be at a few lodges as well. I think throughout the year, trying to get a little bit of um, uh, either pheasant or quail hunting in. <laughs> Well, how can people follow you? How can they find you and stay in touch with you and um, place orders? I know that there's an option for custom fitting and all that kind of stuff. So um, let everybody know where they can find Hound and Hair. Yes, online you can find us at houndhair.com. That's H-O-U-N-D-H-A-R-E.com. Um, we're also on Instagram. Give us a, a social follow at houndinhair. That's uh, H-O-U-N-D-N-H-A-R-E. Follow along and um, also give us a call, 859-913-6408. If you have a question about any of the products as far as size fitting, um, that type of thing, call. You'll get a hold of us. Uh, we ship as well, and um, we're happy, happy to answer any questions. Uh, yeah, I think that you guys offer some of the best gift items for people when you just really want to send somebody something special um hound and hair is where it's at because it is a timeless traditional piece no matter what they they find on your website like it's something that people will cherish for a, for a long time we've we've taken great effort to, to either make or curate a lot of things that that we have either used or purchased in the past and uh, had an opportunity to meet the people in England that make them. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that we believe in. Otherwise we wouldn't carry it. Yeah. You, you guys are more of a gallery instead of a store. 
You know, that's kind of what I think about about you guys. Like everything is is an art piece. It's showcased and it's so very well thought out. I'm so grateful to get to catch up with you today and and showcase your brand because it's been so important to me um, since I came into the the hunting world. And I, I really appreciate your support over all these years. And it was great to have you on. Well, thank you so much, Anna. It was great to speak with you as well. And uh, good luck. And I'm sure we will cross paths soon. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to do another trade show with you. Yes, yes. And All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk soon. I guess that's something you don't understand.